Welcome to the Triumphal Feast Podcast, a ministry of Elder Bryce Lowrance speaking to you from the pulpit of Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church in Social Circle, Georgia. The practice of claiming a verse as yours is a dangerous one if you claim it out of context. And by the way, none of it's yours, all of it's yours, but all of it's the Word of God when it is taught correctly. We can't just pick a verse and say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, and then all of a sudden I'm bench pressing 500 pounds. That's ludicrous. It's humanly impossible for me to bench press that much. We can't just claim a verse to mean something. That's what the children of Israel did. So all we need is the ark. No, they needed the counsel of God. Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church meets regularly two times a week. Our regular worship service is on Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and our Wednesday evening Bible study is at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you would like to attend in person, we are located at 3749 Mount Perrin Church Road, Social Circle, Georgia, 30025. For more information about these services online or Mount Perrin Primitive Baptist Church, please visit our website at mppbc.com. This week, we will begin a three-part mini-series looking back at the past year and looking forward to our walk with God in 2024. The first two messages are from one sermon preached on Sunday, January 31st, 2023, titled, here I raise my Ebenezer. In these episodes, we will look at how Samuel glorifies God by declaring that God has led him and Israel up to this point in their lives. He does this with confidence that the Lord will continue to guide and help him. The final message was preached on Sunday, January 7, 2024. This message focuses on how we should devote our lives to the service of God. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul shows us what kind of New Year's resolution we ought to be making. We need to renew our minds and focus on proving to ourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
like to be turning in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. With the Lord's help, that's where we will be this morning. And I would like to say that my sermon topic was spurred on by that final hymn that we sang, but that hymn was actually just an afterthought of, oh, that's got the word in it. My sermon this morning is based upon the fact that we finally watched a Christmas movie together the other night, um, A Christmas Carol. And the name Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> we find that word used just a few times in the Bible, and we're going to look at one here in just a moment in the history of the children of Israel found in 1 Samuel. Ebenezer, well, Ebenezer Scrooge, the name itself is, is an ironic name. Because Scrooge, when we kind of all know what that, I mean, that's to squeeze or to be tight-fisted and stingy. But Ebenezer means a stone of help, a remembrance. So Lewis Carroll, that was the writer of, no, Charles Dickens, um, had an ironic name to his lead character in that story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who... If you understand his life correctly, he, he had quite a bit given and was blessed with quite a bit in his younger days and forgot those things because of hardships, probably a lot like the author's life, and so became quite a scoundrel as he got older and quite stingy, and so his besetting sin in his life that the, the ghost of Christmas past and so forth had to bring to him was that he had forgotten um, what it meant and what his life was to be and what his name truly mean, and that is um, that God is our helper. Um, in Come Thou Fount, we have the testimony of the word given. And when I was a child, all I could think of was Ebenezer Scrooge, and so the song didn't make much sense to me. So this morning, I hope to help out with that. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Now, as a child, I couldn't figure out why we needed to set up an Ebenezer Scrooge in our life, and so let me tell you, that's not what the song is saying. An Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance that it is a memorial set up in our lives so we remember that God has been our helper. In this song, Hither by thy help I'm come, we can, as we come to the close of this year, look back over the year, and we may be able to easily remember the times where the Lord has helped us through a situation because we are aware of it when it was happening. But if we truly reflect on the year, we can see that even though when we weren't seeking the Lord's will in our lives. He was helping us. He was guiding us. He was encouraging us. He was disciplining us if we need it. But he, as he has promised, never has forsaken us. And so as we go into the new year, we need to look back 
And we need to look at the Ebenezers of our lives. We need to look at the times where the Lord has been our deliverer. We need to look at the times where the Lord has been a blessing to us, where he has guided us when we have gone astray, and where he has um, truly delivered us from the dangers that we probably got ourselves into. Now we're headed this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 7, but we've got to do a little bit of background before that. I am not going to preach seven chapters of 1 Samuel, but we do need to cover some ground to see why Samuel is eventually going to make this statement for us. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Everything leading up to that point is the wonderful providence of God that led to that point of deliverance in the life of Samuel and in the history of the children of Israel where God was dealing with them. Now, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Samuel, there is a beautiful story at the beginning, is there not? The story of Hannah. Another story of the wonderful providence of God. A young woman who was shamed by her peers because she did not have a child. And so she prayed continually to the Lord that the Lord would allow her to have a son. And in her prayers, she said something very important, that she would dedicate the child to God if he would bless. Oh, that we could have that kind of fervency in our prayers and that we're asking for the right things so that when we receive them from God, we can dedicate them back to the Lord. Well, we know the story. She eventually bears a young son named Samuel. And she did exactly what she had promised. She dedicated him to the Lord. That had to be a hard thing for her to do. Because if she knew Eli's family, he had two scoundrels of sons. <laughs> and Hophni and Phinehas, they mess up quite a few times in their lives. But she's going to leave the care of her son with a man named Eli. There in the, in, in the, in the tabernacle out there in the, the tribe of Benjamin area, she is going to trust that the Lord will take care of her son. And so we find and recorded in those first two chapters some marvelous things, not the least of which is in the middle of the night, the young child hears a voice. And you'll recall, what does he do? He comes running into Eli. I said, yes, sir, what, what, what did you need? Eli basically said, I didn't call you. <laughs> Go back to bed. Then it happens again. And he comes running in, yes, sir, what do you need? Well, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. But then Eli realizes what's happening. And he says, next time you hear that voice, say, hear my Lord. And the third time it happens, and Samuel talks to the Lord. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful testimony. All the way the providence of God from his mother asking for a child and saying, I will dedicate him to you and the Lord using him at a very young age. What's interesting also about that is from that earliest of times, Samuel showed a character that I wish I could have as an older man. 
And that is Samuel was told of the Lord what was going to happen to Eli and to his house and to Israel. And he knew it would upset Eli. I mean, it's the destruction's coming. You're going to lose your sons. And when Eli says, tell me, what did the boy do? He told him. So he was a faithful minister of the Lord, even at a young age. And so now we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. It would seem for a time that the Lord wasn't talking to Israel, that he didn't have a prophet that was readily telling them things about what was going on and leading them and guiding them. Now this follows on the end of the book of Judges where you remember that pattern, right? God blessed Israel. They followed for a time and were thankful and then they took it for granted and they turned away and they got overtaken by one of the peoples around them they prayed to God. God told them to repent, and he sent a judge over them to deliver them. The pattern happened over and over and over again. Well, Samuel is the last of these judges. And so the cycle has happened once again, and God is not speaking to them. And so the word of the Lord being precious, it should be that way to us. Oh, if we could look at this Bible for the thing and how precious it truly is. Because it is an open vision of the Lord. People are wanting information from God. Well, God has provided thousands of pages of information to us. We just need to read it. At this time, they didn't have that. There weren't that many scriptures written. And so they depended upon the Lord speaking to them through the prophets. And he wasn't doing that very much. But he blessed this young child. In chapter 3, we find out that judgment that God has against Eli. And then as we come to the close of that, this chapter, let's look at verse 19. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel didn't waste time joking in the pulpit. And God blessed every word that Samuel said. Now, this doesn't mean that Samuel was a mean person or that he didn't have joy in his life. It means that Samuel understood that he was dedicated to the Lord by his mother. And so he dedicated himself to the service of God. And in so doing, he didn't waste any time. When things needed to be said, he said them. And the Lord put the weight behind them that they needed to have. He focused every word for intent to improve Israel and to give glory to God. And God didn't let it go to waste. See, there's a wondrous miracle in the preaching of the gospel when you have a faithful minister. Now, here, here's something interesting about the preaching of the gospel. On the preaching side of it, if you have a faithful minister and God blesses, then the gospel is preached, whether people listen or not. 
becomes a judgment against them if they're not listening. The other wondrous thing is when God does work on both sides and both sides are obedient and there is this transfer of joy and assurance from faith to faith. Well, sometimes it happened in Israel, sometimes it didn't, as it is in our lives. So Samuel is clearly set up as the prophet of God. Samuel is blessed of God and the Lord blesses every word of his mouth. And he was established to be a prophet in all of that area from Dan even to Beersheba. Chapter four comes up and we find the children of Israel who are not listening. Same pattern as the book of Judges. And so they have an enemy, an enemy that we often hear. You know, David against the Philistines, it's the same group of folks. And so they go to war against the Philistines. And 4,000 Israelites are killed. They said, all right, we, we, we realize we've done something wrong, so we need to fix this. And here was their solution. Let's go get the ark. And if we have the ark with us, then we're going to win. Nowhere in there did they consult Samuel or ask anybody else that even claimed to be a prophet. They just had this idea, if we just go get the ark, then we're going to get our way. I think that's probably the approach of most people in service to the Lord today. If I just do this thing, then I'm going to get what I want. Like God's some form of uh, automatic teller machine. We just put in our debit card and God spits out our blessing. That's what the children of Israel thought. By the way, in the coming year, if you've been doing that, quit. <laughs> because here's what happened. So let's go get the ark. Well, in chapter 9... Even the Philistines recognize this, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 9. Even the Philistines recognize that this could be a dangerous thing. In verse 8, they say, woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of the mighty gods? They are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong. Quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. The Philistines saw, oh, they're bringing up the ark. But here's the problem. Did God tell them to bring up the ark? Don't try to use religion to your own ends. Because here's what happened. They brought in the ark. The Philistines are, are scared. But they say, quit you like men. And we thought 4,000 deaths among the Israelites was bad. In this battle, they lose 30,000. Folks, that's a pretty big loss. That's a pretty big loss. The rest of them turn and run to the wilderness or go and hide in their tents. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, are killed. And this ark that they thought was their salvation is taken. It's stolen and it's taken among the Philistines. All because they, rather than consulting God and his word and his teacher, 
grabbed something out of the Bible and said, I'm going to use it this way. The practice of claiming a verse as yours is a dangerous one. <laughs> if you claim it out of context. And by the way, none of it's yours. All of it's yours. But all of it's the word of God when it is taught correctly. We can't just pick a verse and say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And then all of a sudden I'm bench pressing 500 pounds. That's ludicrous. It's humanly impossible for me to bench press that much. Even if I worked out for a while, I seriously doubt my structure would ever handle that again. So we can't just claim a verse to mean something. That's what the children of Israel did. So all we need is the ark. No, they needed the counsel of God. A young man escapes, a messenger, and he runs back and he comes to Eli. You remember what happened here? Eli hears the news. What does he do? He's 90-something years old. He falls backward. He breaks his neck. He's dead. This is a bad day. 30,000 killed. The ark is taken. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. Eli falls backward. He dies. And then Phinehas, his wife, she is about to give birth to a child. And she hears news that her husband is dead and that her father-in-law is dead that Israel has been defeated and the ark has been taken away. And they said, well, you're, you, you've given birth to a son. She basically says, I don't care, and names him what? Ichabod. Woo. The glory of the Lord has departed. She said, there's no hope. And she was right. <laughs> With the current way of thinking, there was no hope for these folks. And so she rightly brings in another one of those interesting old names, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord is departed. The scene shifts from Israel at that point. And in chapter five, we go over into the land of the Philistines. Now, while we're in the land of the Philistines, we need to remember what's happening in Israel is exactly the same mindset of what just happened. Hopelessness. We thought we had a solution, but even Eli's gone. The ark is gone. Ichabod, God is not with us. That is a lie, by the way. God had promised to be with Israel. He had promised to bless them if they obeyed, but he never said, I'm going to leave you. And so the idea of Ichabod, the glory of the Lord is departed. The glory of the Lord was not that ark. The glory of the Lord appeared over that ark. What they needed was God, not the ark. But this ark, <laughs> here is something that makes what Samuel is going to say over in chapter 7 make a lot of sense. Hitherto, the Lord has been with us. Even when Israel is still in disobedience, God still hates his enemies. And so when we shift the scene over to the Philistines in chapter 5, we find, all right, we've got this ark. Let's go in there and we're going to set it by our god, Dagon. And so they set the ark in the same temple to Dagon. And they come in there the next morning. What's happened? Dagon's falling over. <laughs> well, maybe somebody just came in and tripped and pushed him. So they 
set him back up. And they come in the next day. What happens? Dagon has fallen over. Even when people, God's people aren't doing right, God still works against his enemies. And then something else happens. I'm going to only say the word once. The Bible uses the term emrod. That's a hemorrhoid. The entire nation of the Philistines had emrods. Folks, I want you to see the providence of God right here. The Philistines could have whooped Israel and taken them off the map. As discouraged as they were, and so much not listening to God, they could have been wiped off the map and never existed again, but God said, I'm going to preserve Israel, and so he stopped the Philistines. They can't go and fight. <laughs> this illness they have is so bad. Seven months. That's pretty miserable. So finally, the Philistines come to themselves. And well, our God Dagon is no match for him, and we're certainly no match for him. We need to get rid of this. So they go to their diviners and to their prophets, and they say, what do we do? Well, their learned fellows actually knew enough about Israel to know something needed to be done, and that ark needed to go back to the Israelites. They said, but don't send it back empty. Send it back with a trespass offering. Folks, you see that? Israel had trespassed and was not offering anything to God. The Philistines, though, had trespassed and they'd gotten to the end of their rope and realized we got to give something back to God. And so we know from the story the images that they made and they put them in the ark and they're going to send it back to the Israelites. You know, that's something that really ought to wake us up. When people that we think are ungodly start treating God with more honor than we do as children of God. We need to be more honorable than that. The heathen priests even knew how to do what Psalm 2 was, which is kiss the son, lest he be angry. And thou art consumed when his wrath is kindled but a little. They knew how to appease the God of Israel, the Lord. And so they put their trespass offering in the ark. They placed the ark on a cart. And here is something, again, that is a miracle. They were wondering, the Philistines were wondering whether they were doing the right thing or not. The children of Israel aren't worried about whether they're doing the right thing. The Philistines are. And so they set up an impossible scenario. They get two milk cows who still have a calf on them and they separate them. I have done that. It is an unpleasant experience. I have seen mama cow and calf try to tear down fences to get back to one another. But here's their plan. We will definitely know that we have appease the God of the Israelites. If we take these two milk cows, we take their calves from them. These are two milk cows that have never had a yoke on them, so they don't know what to do with that. They're going to freak out over that. They're going to be wanting to get back to their calves. Their calves are going to be screaming the entire time. But we're going to put them on this cart, and we're not going to put anybody in the cart with them. We're just going to push them on that way. And if they go the right way, then we know it was of the Lord. 
Isn't that amazing? And what happened? They went the right way. So, you know, this, this, this account in here is to teach us children of God how we ought to act. Sometimes the Lord will use the heathen as an example for us. And so the cart comes back. And it comes to a people that weren't even looking for it. That is very important to understand. That tells us that in all of this seven months, where all of this is happening in the land of the Philistines, the children of Israel had not repented. They weren't making a plan to go get the ark. They had given up. They thought they were without hope. And they were just, oh, we're, we're, we're stuck. But the ark came back to them even when they weren't looking for it. That's one of the best definitions of grace there is, isn't it? Man, that, that's just awesome. We hope this edition of Triumphal Feast has been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mppbc.com for further resources, including our devotional blog, Little Brother's Thoughts on the Bible. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you all is our prayer.